Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I, I, I think everybody's fascinated by vampires because we have we always come back to vampires. Like you see even the, the, the nominations from the Ennis, there's... Every year there's something with vampires, like <laughs> true. We're, we're obsessed with it. So we, we like exploring well, what can we do what can we do now? What what different kind of vampire can we do? And, and... in this interview, you will quickly see why so many people in the RPG community praise Diogo. Since this interview, I've picked up several of his games and we are running his primal quest on the channel in December. I enjoyed hearing his unique history and how his various interests influenced his work. Stick around until the end and hear about his love for Dungeon Crawl Classics, the new One Ring from Free League, and Fate. This is too short of an interview and I am anxious to have him come on again to talk more about his games and his process. Make sure you check out his site, you'll be surprised. This episode, like all my content, comes to you for free because of the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. And I want to give a big shout out to some of the longest and most generous supporters we have. A big thank you goes to Nick Westbrook, Craig Chuba, Kevin Smith, Sam Newman, Amber Singham, Patrick Healy, Dronix, Wookie Gunner, Cody Ravicki, DZ, and Keith Suderman. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Diogo. Do you? Love to unplug and play games around the table. Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we talk to designer Diogo Nogueira. Diogo is a game designer and artist from Brazil. He releases most of his creations under the Old Skull Publishing label and recently recently released The Halls of the Blood King with Necrotic Gnome and Exalted Funeral. Now, this adventure for Old School Essentials received nominations for Best Adventure and Best Cartography in the 2021 Any Awards. Diogo, welcome to the third floor. Thank you. Thanks for, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, I have to tell you, it was kind of fun. Um, you know, on Twitter, I think is where I first came across you and uh, started following you and uh, really enjoying uh, your, your Twitter, fo- your, you know, your Twitter material, which then led me to your games and so on and so forth as, as it's supposed to work. Um, but I forgot what it was. At some point, I think I mentioned that you were coming on the show and just got a flood of, oh, my gosh, that's great. So excited and so forth. Um, so you've got quite a little fan base going. Oh, yeah. I- I don't know. Yeah, maybe like a, a couple of, of people like 
enjoy. I don't know. That's yeah, a good I, I thing. Just try to be there in the in the community, you know, interacting, talking to people because RPGs is are really important to me. Like not just for production, but it got me through many things in my life. So I, I like this a lot. <laughs> what I think it was uh, part of the reason that I enjoy following you so much is that passion comes through. Um, that, that your passion and love for the hobby, let alone for being, you know, someone who creates for the hobby is, is very evident. But we're going to get into all of that. First, we got to talk about your origin story. <laughs> so at one point, you knew nothing about games. You knew nothing about sitting at a table, rolling dice, putting characters down on a sheet of paper. And then at some point, someone showed it to you or you came across it. Can we go back to then to when you were first exposed to it? Sure. I think I was like in elementary school and it was, it was a Catholic school here in Brazil. And for some reason, they, they decided they wouldn't let the kids choose the books they're going to read for that semester or something. And someone suggested Death Trap Dungeon, like the, the fantasy, fantasy fighting game books. And I don't know how the, the priests let us choose that book <laughs> for the semester. So, uh, And I discovered this, this kind of books that you can decide what you're going to do. And I became obsessed with them and I tried to get my hands on, on all the translations they had here from Fighting Fantasy. And I, I, I probably played that for like a couple of years. And then I moved it to another neighborhood and I went to, to, I moved it around and I was playing one of these fighting fantasy books on, on my, my building. And one of the older kids that lived a couple of floors up saw me playing the fantasy fighting game book and he, oh, do you like that? I'm pretty sure you're going to like a game we played. It's called role-playing game that you can do anything you want. You don't have to follow the options there. And my mind, wow, that must be really cool. And, and they invited me to play. And it's what we played like the the first uh, published Brazilian RPG called Tagmar. And I made a warrior and I I named him Ludgrin and we played around and I died in the first session. Like with our work, scoring like a critical hit. And like slicing my, my leg off. So I died bleeding there. And, nice. and it was amazing. And after the session, we went like to the, to the yard, like the building had a yard. And, and when we buried my character sheet in the yard, <laughs> uh, it was awesome. Like this, was, this made a, a really good impression on me about the game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I started playing that game. And the first game I. I bought and, and, and ran as a, as a game master was the D&D Challenger box that released here. Like the first D&D ever released this here was that one. And I read it and I was like, maybe I had 10 years old or something. And uh, I quite didn't understand everything. I thought like the halflings were like half dwarves and half elves. So they have the, the, the abilities of both and they were like the best class because they could do... <laughs> So many things, and, and the experience point wasn't wasn't so high. Uh, but after that, I started getting understanding more, and got older, and, and got into other games. So, if you were to mark maybe the next big game for you, a game that you spent a lot of time with and fell in love with, uh, what game was that? Do you remember? The game that I played most more time was D and D Third Edition, I think, because Third Edition and three point five, uh, but the game that really 
probably changed my way of seeing games and, and, and designing games was the first edition of D1 Ring oh, by wow. Control 7. Yeah. Because I, I, I have read the books. I've read many books on Lord of the Rings, uh, Smarillion, and Unfinished Tales, and, and I really like a token. And when I saw a game that really captured the, the feeling of the books and, and, and the movies, and I, was, I saw that games could do so much more than, than just simulating a reality and influencing story. And, and I'm a really big fan of the ring. And so it, looking back on it, uh, Jago, was there something, uh, I mean, you were playing D and D, right? So in theory you could, you know, I mean, D and D is, stolen in many ways or uh, an ode to Tolkien, obviously. So what was it about the one ring that really made it different in your mind or really set it, set it aside and made it not D and think it was the, the mechanics relating to the relationships of the characters. Like they, they form a fellowship and they have this, this pool of, of points and they have to, to come in an agreement to how to spend it. And, it was like this camaraderie, but there is this shadow that it's it's like dancing on it and trying to ruin it and starting eating them from inside, and, and that made it so real for me because of yeah. the, the fiction, you know. And and I, I I said, wow, you can really feel this world acting through the mechanics, and I I thought it was fantastic, and and I always tried to have something like this in, in the games I write, like I. I something of the world that influenced the, the rules, you know, to, to make it part of a, a clearly focusing on this kind of stories and, and narratives. So I'd be curious, um, a lot of times when I hear these stories about, you know, discovering it young, um, playing it, being exposed to new games and uh, kind of widening your view of what, you know, what the hobby is and what's possible. Uh, there's also tends to be a time where you take a break from it, right? Where you period of time where you put it down, you get it consumed, whether it be university or whatever. Did that, did that happen to you or yeah. have you played it pretty consistently? No. Yeah. When I, when I went to college, I studied graphic design in like the school of arts, in the public university of Rio, of Rio de Janeiro. I was, I didn't really wanted to do graphic design. I wanted to do art. So <laughs> I went to, but my parents didn't approve. They wanted to, me to be in the military and they didn't want to do that. So I came up with graphic design. It was a little bit less, you know, artistic, but more focused on the, on the industry and stuff. Right. I went to, to study there, but but and then I find out I could pick all the the, the classes of the, the art schools and do that too. So I, I started, you know, become obsessed with the crafts, with making art. So I kind of put aside role-playing games and really gave my all to that and to, to study and try to do courses outside of college and yeah. study a lot. I, I went to like optional classes that wouldn't give any credits but with the professors, I, I thought would teach me more and were willing to do so. So I was really focusing on that. And, and I had a band too. So oh, was, look at I, you. Yeah. <laughs> I played drums in like a punk rock band, but really like the Ramones, you know, not really yeah. pop punk, but really the Ramones. Right? I'm, I'm, one of my other obsessions besides role playing games is the Ramones. 
That's a, that's a good obsession. I I went through a huge punk phase. I'll never forget the first time I discovered the Sex Pistols, and it just you know, I think I was like twelve years old, and I'm like I don't know what this is, but I want to hear a yeah. lot of it. And then through the Sex Pistols, I found the Ramones. Yeah, but so Sex Pistols can... have so many few musics, so I, the Ramones have so much more. So I exactly. can explore like a lot of. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. So then I, of course, that begs the question, uh, Jay goes, what brought you back? Right. So you you put it aside. You're focusing on studies on creating art. You're in a punk band um what lured you back in well uh after college i realized i needed money and i really <laughs> i really didn't want to do graphic design i really wanted to do art i wanted to to write children's book which i i i, I have done that i have published a re- children's book i realized i needed that, like a, a steady job to to do the things i liked because i liked computer yeah. games and i could RPGs, I could I, I had done college, so I could go back to, to exploring other things. So I decided to become a public servant, and I had to study really hard to, to get a job and go to series of tests and, and all, all this kind of stuff. And I got the job, and I had some security, like some tight schedule, and, and I was more comfortable. And then I, I, for the first time of my life, I had my own money. <laughs> and I could spend on, on stuff that I like. And I started buying RPGs back. And at that time, it was D&D 4th Edition. And I bought everything I could buy from D&D 4th Edition. But I was in another city. I didn't have many friends there. But then I moved back to, to Rio de Janeiro. Uh, I started playing again. And uh, was it so I, I did this a similar thing where I came back to it after a while. And when I came back to it, everything I remembered was was still there. And I like like, why did I stop? Like I like I love this so much. I mean, was it was it a triumphant return for you? Did you just go n- neck deep back in? I tried to. As I said, I bought D&D for Edition and then I started playing D&D for Edition. And when I read it, for me, it was like, it's really well designed, really balanced and, and all this kind of well thought things. But when I played it, it was <laughs> nothing like I remember D&D yeah. to be. So I, I, I couldn't bear it. Like we played for a year and we didn't finish three adventures. Like it wow. was so slow. Like an ambush attack would devolve in like four hours of combat and yep. was supposed to be so quick. And then I decided I needed to see what else is around, right? And I started going through the internet and I discovered the OSR and the story games, kind of different paths. And, and then I started exploring both at the same time. Uh, however, uh, here in Brazil, I was in, like, in some groups and... Like the, the, the OSR guys would just talk about OSR and, and didn't talk much about anything else. But the, the guys from the story games would talk about story games, but would talk bad about other stuff. And it started right. like talking bad about the OSR, and I didn't care for that. And then I started going to their groups because, because I was, for me, I was both words. And when they're like talking bad about the OSR and I wouldn't agree, I just didn't want to see what else they're talking about. So I've become really obsessive with the OSR. And, and What do you think uh, drove your obsession from, from the OSR perspective? Was it just because it reminded you of old D&D or was there something no, else about it that you loved? Not really, because the OSR is really 
before third edition, right? They really fo focuses on that. And for me, D&D was mostly third edition D&D because it was the one right. I played the most. Like I played very little of of D&D Challenger and AD&D second edition. And I hadn't really any kind of experience of the, the, the ethos of the OSR as we see today. For me, there was sort of something new. It was uh, very, very fast, very agile. I didn't have to like look through specific feats and powers and anything in the books. And was really, really more free flow. And it was refreshing because I, I played a lot of World of Warcraft. Like I was really into it. And I, I like raids. I raided like for like the second best guild in the server. I was like almost like a second job. I was really into it. <laughs> but then when I I was playing RPGs, I was playing this this game of like super super heroic and couldn't die. And for me, RPGs, I wanted to do something different. I wouldn't. Right. So there was sort this this mentality of you're not a hero. You're an adventure. Like we have peril. Every encounter could go badly. So. That was really exciting for me, and, and that's another thing that really attracted me in the OSR. And, and the do-it-yourself spirits, like people doing their own games, their own zines, their own interpretation of the games. Say, well, why there is like 15 uh, BX clones? Because each one has their little bit difference that really fascinates me. I don't know why. They're, they are very <laughs> similar, but there's yeah. just, just these small bits, even like the art or the style of the presentation. For me, because I don't know, because I'm, I I have a art background, I really yeah. like the, the art aspect. So maybe even that's it's something I'm kind of obsessed about, you know. So on one hand, you've got you know you fall in love with the OSR, you you enjoy the freedom that it offers, the the speed that it offers. But on the other hand, you spend time and, and are looking at, at story-based games. Um, and yeah, I'd be and curious. I keep doing that. I, 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 maybe I, I don't frequent the forums. They, they talk most about it. But I see things and, and I follow people and, and, and I can see what's, what's new and try to check, the, check it out because I really like that too. Well, and I'd be curious to know, what, did you, what do you find attractive about those games? So what draws you to those games and keeps your interest there? That, that ability to simulate a genre, a genre of, of story. Like you, you can have a game about uh, Mexican telenovelas. You can have a game like, like Fiasco was one of the first of those that I played that really influenced me on how I use, for example, generators in my games. Like they have the elements, the location, the object, you know, the relationship or something like that. And that used to create stories very free flow on Fiasco that you can apply the same principle to create stories, uh, plots for your, right. your OSR game, you know. And so I, I, I continue to follow these. I, I like Forged in the Dark or Fate. Mm -hmm. And these games have an influence in the way I design my games that are more uh, appealing to the OSR spectrum. So, so at some point, you do more than just play. 
and you do more than just make changes at your table. At some point, you start making things that you want other people outside of your circle to look at. Um, do you have a sense of, first of all, what drove you to do that? So what, what drove you to, to say, I want, I, want to, I want to make something and I want other people to see it? I think I think that was mostly because I, I, I went to Gen Con in 2014 and I I was on Google Plus. I was in very different communities of games, like more narrative, OSR and stuff. I started interacting with the DCC RPG people community mm-hmm. that is very, very welcoming. Like sometimes I was afraid because I, in some groups I would see like people really criticizing other people because of their English. And because I was Brazilian and my, my English isn't perfect. I was like afraid to interact in some place, but in the DCC community, they they were really supportive. Yeah. So I started interacting with them, and then go to Gencom. I didn't really know anyone. I didn't went with anyone. I went alone there, and and they they invited me. In, like like they are well, for me like almost like a second family. You know, that's amazing. I, I have true friends with many of the people from the DCC community and we interact. Uh, we send each other stuff like like letters and and trade zines or things like yeah. that. And when they have this really active do-it-yourself community publishing zines, like making the Gong Farms almanac that everyone can contribute to, contribute to it. And you go to Gen Con and they give you copies like for free, you know. <laughs> it's 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 amazing. Like it's one of the most welcoming and generous community I, I have ever interacted with and i went there and they and they invited me they they called me to like a bar they were hanging out there like where well, the the metal gods a few hadads were like the first group that welcomed me in. and I, I played with them online it was fantastic yeah and and then i saw this these people that i interacted with that i continue to talk to like I, now i consider like friends or even close close friends yeah. They're making the, their own stuff. They're making the, their own not like material. And I said, wow, I think I can do that too, you know. And and that's how I got started. I, I saw like people I know, people like me are, are making this. So why shouldn't I try to? Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's what's fascinating to me about everything you just said. One, um, rightly or wrongly, uh, the OSR or parts of the OSR community has a reputation of, of not being welcoming, of being very insular, very critical. And of course, just like everything, that's not true for all of them, right? But that, that's yeah. a reputation that exists there, except for the Dungeon Crawl Classics group. They are well known for being very welcoming, very encouraging of new players. Um, I mean... I, you mentioned DCC. Like if somebody somewhere goes, oh, the DCC looks uh, interesting, like flies. People come and say, I'll show yeah. it to you. I'll t- I'll, I'll, yeah, let me teach yeah. you with you. We're playing on Saturday. Like, and yes. it's, it's, all, it's, it's amazing. amazing. It amazing. is amazing. It's something very unique about DCC. And I, I have never played uh, Dungeon Call Classics. I've read it. I own it. And I think it's fascinating. But, but I ha- what I haven't figured out, and maybe you have some insight in is is what is it about that game that's either curated and created such a welcoming community or did it just happen to develop that way? Do you have a sense of why it's is so different? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the vibe of, of the people that are behind it. As I said, I went to Gen Con and I started hanging with the DCC people. Then I started hanging with the, the guys that made the game like Joseph Goodman, yeah. Harold Stroh, you know, Michael Curtis. They're, 
they were really, really welcoming. I started, I started running games and other thing calls for the DCC. And like, even I won a medal for running games for DCC. Like they have a, a ceremony to award referees oh, and so do cool. stuff. And, and I went to dinner with them. And like, I, I, I helped them, uh, you know, take down the, their booth. And, and I went to dinner with them. I, I had lunch with, with like the creators of the game. Like they, yeah. you know, they really welcome. Maybe that's just transgresses to the, to the whole community. And I, I, I ended up being the, the translator of the, the DCC uh, in Brazil. So, <laughs> so you're the one that, uh, that, that, that spreads the gospel down in Brazil. Yeah, for yeah. <laughs> what was kind of your first attempt then? So you, you feel like you have permission, you're encouraged because you see your friends doing it. People that you like and respect are doing it. You say, well, hell, I think I could try to do that. What was kind of your first, first swing at when you, when you went to the play, what was your first attempt? Well, I started first um, making some illustrations for, for Zenith in the DCQC community, mainly crawling under a broken moon. And, and then even I, my first, I think my first material that I wrote that was like published was like a post-apocalyptic uh, adventure generator for crawling under a broken moon. And then I started, you know, writing small things for, for DCC zines like a class or like maybe a monster or a patron and even for some publications on that community. Then I, then I like read a book by, uh, by Al Sinclair, like still like an artist. They had like a, that Naga Demon, the National Game Design Month. I think yeah. it's November, you know. And I decided I, w- I would write a game like in, in one month and it had to be under six, four pages and it would be about like sword and sorcery, not like... Uh, vanilla fantasy, but sort of saucer like Conan and Farfadding right. Grimauser and, and like Tongor. So I wrote Sharp Sword and Sinister Spells. You know, it's inspired by Black Hack and, and the White Hack, and there is some influence by Barbarian of Lemuria and Fate and, and some small things. And I published it in, in one month using public domain art and my art and the arts of. Uh, an artist here in Brazil that I paid. And that was my first game, and I published it. What was that like then to 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 put that much time and effort? Um, now, granted, it's it's a month, but that's still, you know, this is your first time yeah. really yeah, yeah. from beginning to end. What was it like to get that game out there into the wild? You're not there when people are playing it. You're not part of, part of that process. People are taking what you created and making their own stories with it. Can you give me a sense of what that was like for the first time to kind of see it out in the wild? Uh, it was surreal because I had I, re- I had tried to write a game before in Brazil and it was called like Warlocks and Barbarians and was was really influenced by my early OSR experience like AD&D First Edition and, and DCC and uh, Stone Strange Storms also for Hyperborea. It was these really big books with like... Uh, many details of its spell and, and, and everything and really more a little bit more traditional OSR and I tried to make like a gigantic book and it would have many levels and, and details and everything uh, but it's, I couldn't finish that because I had written about 300 pages and then had to wow. to illustrate everything and and, and <laughs> And it was impossible. So that's why I said, oh, I have to make a game six, four pages or less. 
And Sharp Swords and Spells has like 48 pages, like the first edition. That's amazing. Yeah. You finished that and, you know, you have since made several other games. But what I would be interested is when you look at that first one, the first completed game, 48 pages worth. If you were an archaeologist studying the path of Gio's career, if we go back to that original game, what in there is still true for you as a creator and what's changed? Um, so what, what do we see when we look in those 48 pages that still defines what you create today and tomorrow? I think what is there is... This attempt to make a a game that is simple and there is like everything you need is there, but it's not really detailed and specified everything because I think that's limits your options more than mm-hmm. give you options. This mixture of traditional and OSR games with story games elements and this interaction between them and maybe what's it's kind of solving a little bit like the 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 influence from from the uh early osr like there's really simulations of the idea i'm kind every time i'm losing more and more of this and and kind of trying to do my own thing and 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 trying to break away from this some of its traditions well i guess that leads me to the next question then same document same 48 pages we now know, you know, what is st- still held true for you over all of these other games that you've created. What do you think has changed? So what is in there that we won't see tomorrow when you make when you're making games? So where do you think you've matured since then? Or changed? Matured might even not even be the right word. I, I think maybe the way I use dice rolls, like the row under, or I'm trying to explore maybe dice pools or uh, like using more of these six and more less like many different dice you know or even mm-hmm. try to use two most two different dice and, and try to simplify the the way you do that you don't tell your dcc guys you're doing that do you no yeah yeah because they like different dice yeah i love different <laughs> dice too but uh, you know here in brazil uh, one of the difficulties of dcc if people people getting the dice because they're they're not cheap to to bring to brazil yeah so uh, even though I, I read most of my games uh, in English, I still have this feeling of it's easier. Or, or maybe because writing English, I can reach so many other countries because I've seen reviews of my games in Korean, in, 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 wow. in, in English. I, language that I even don't know the name in English. I know that I think that it's easier for them to get to play if, if it's something that's easier to get. And explore different ways dice can work, you know, beyond success and fail. You know, when we go to to your site and we see the several games that you've created, um, I'd be curious, are there certain games um, that we should talk about that you think really highlight um, an aspect of you as a designer, because really what um, what I try to do here on the show is, is to really help define and understand your philosophy and approach. And that's why I spend t- so much time on your influences, right, on, on, on how you what, what you grew up on. Right. And kind of that progression. But as we go through and look at the at your games, do you see aspects that we really should discuss um, in certain games? So there are there some landmark games for you that you've made that you think really uh, help define what makes you unique as a creator? Sure. I, I think I don't know. I kind of think that the last game every designer makes is like the one that is really defining them at, at that yeah. moment, you know. So maybe the the my trilogy of zines 
uh, what's defining me, but I, I'm mixing, but I'm already mixing my experience with that more more uh, story game oriented and like fate and doing something new now with Sword Quest, but I'm, I'm yep. expanding and, 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 and doing more things that, that have some old, some old school influence, but it's, it's hanging more to the side of more narrative games. Mm-hmm. But, but for example, the Solar Blaze and Cosmic Spells, for me, it's like my midway traditional OSR because it has some other influences, but it has really my approach to how I design settings and, 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 and tools to play the game. Like the, uh, how the, so? The, so book, what... the book seems huge because it has like almost uh, 550 pages, but the wow. rules are really, really a small part of it, and most of it is like the... The setting took it, because even the setting isn't completely defined. You have some principles and some character and some factions, but you, you roll a lot of what's going on and where is everything and, and events and, and locations. So, what do you think? What do you think influenced that for you, as far as being being a little bit more focused, not just on the mechanics, but really building out the world building aspect of it, and and helping mechanize that and and put that to place, and just spend so many pages uh, focused on that. Where where did that drive come from? What made you want to to look there? I think it was some some of the the publications in the OSR like settings, like Hubris, for example. They don't presenting. They don't present a setting like, for example, Wizard of the Coast presents a setting that they, mm-hmm. they define. Oh, here's this realm. Here's this king, and this person is trying to overthrow the king, and that's how they're situated. Like every every time you go there, that's what's happening. Or I don't know. It's kind of static, and you have to memorize what is on each street or each each place. And there's like room lawyers, right? And we here in Brazil say they're, they're like the setting lawyers because yeah. you say something different and they say, no, that's not what is there because on the page, blah, 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 this is what is here. And I realized it with, with those setting toolkits that people were making in the OSR. You, you almost didn't need uh, modules because you could, right. every time you would go someplace, you could generate what's going on, what's happening. Uh, something different and, and really being able to to cut down your prep right to the minimum because you generate these ideas and you can just roll with them and, and, and play like that. So. so so something that I thought was fascinating is, um, you know, obviously tables and generators were a big part of of the hobby at the very beginning. Um, and and you saw it build, uh, in, you know, into the 80s and things like that. Then uh, kind of the the random tables, the generators kind of went out of fashion for a while. Um, but boy, have they come back. Um, and But they're not exactly the same uh, than when we left them. I, like, for example, you don't hear random tables nearly as much, even though you're still rolling on these generators. Mm-hmm. What do you think changed? Why do you think people um, and creators have come back to this concept of, of these generators uh, after them being out of, out of fashion for so long? I don't know. I, I kind of feel there was sort of that popularized that, you know, but even for me, even games like Fiasco that, 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 that spreads that have the, all these elements, like the objects, the relationship, the locations, they're kind of like random tables for you to generate yeah. stuff. So, so the, the, the story game people had this, this stuff with them too. I don't know. I think the Vassar really went obsessed with it. They like they create tables for like 
crazy stuff that doesn't even make sense, but they're like, they're so fun. They're so inspiring yeah. that, that you, you, you make something up to, to just use that. Yeah. I, um, I had the creators of uh, heart inspire on the show and, uh, you know, Grant and Grant and Chris do a lot of tables. They yeah. love tables. Yeah. And the one thing that amazed me about their tables and I see it now and it, well, it's not isolated to them, but they're the ones that opened my eyes to it is, um, you know, the level of design that can be put into it and, and the, the, the story that can be told in the format of a table and the flexibility the tables give you and things like that. And I was just absolutely fascinated for it. And I think that was my discussion with them that made me go back to my, some of my OSR books and go, that's why this works or go to something like forbidden lands, which has a lot of tables in it as well. And, and really see it with a new set of lenses. Um, it's, it's fascinating how it's progressed from 40, you know, three thieves and two goblins, depending on yeah, how you roll, yeah, yeah. you know, it's amazing. You know, you, you, the point you made about, you know, the, the game that, that marks who I am now is the most recent one that I've made. I'd be curious, um, where are your sites now? So as we start to look on the horizon for you, is there certain aspects of the hobby or certain parts of you as a creator that you're really finding yourself being pulled towards or things that you're exploring right now? Yeah. Uh, well, uh- um, one of adventure I wrote is has been nominated for the Annies. That we're gonna do a whole segment on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's but that's for me was like like a really big deal because, as I said, I really I, I love the Rob. I'm really fascinated with it. I, I I follow creators for a long time, like like a fan, and I've always saw these people like like almost like ah they're the gods of the hobby. They're, they're being nominated for awards and stuff, <laughs> and. And I really wrote wrote way more games than than really modules and adventures. I didn't. Yeah. I hadn't. I hadn't written many adventures because I write generators, and for me, I'm like, ah, I, I have the generators. You don't need adventures. Just wrote the generators and and, and make something up, you know. And yeah. because because I know I'm like an indie indie author, I know I won't be able to write tons of adventures for for the game for the people who are playing my game. So. I have to rely on adventures to do this job, like for me, you know. So when when an adventure of mine got nominated, I was like, "What? What's going on?" <laughs> so, so I'm trying to be more confident in writing more adventures or settings instead of 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 complete games. I I, I kind of want to support my games with, with more some more options and explore even maybe write adventures for other games like Old School Adventures or DCC, or, or again, like that. That's very exciting. So, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about this any-nominated work. We're going to talk about the Halls of the Blood King. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You like science fiction, right? You love playing games, maybe even role-playing games. 
But what if you can't get your friends together for a game night? If you love games like Mothership or Orbital Blues, check out Dead Belt, a card-based space western solo strategy RPG about skillful and desperate scavengers picking over the remains of junked starships in hopes of a juicy payday. In it, you deal with lurking dangers, push your luck, and walk away with enough cred to keep on flying. Of course, you might get eaten by lurking aliens, or run afoul of rival scavengers, or face the murderous ghosts of long-dead spacers. <laughs> no one said life in the dead belt was going to be easy. For more information on this and all of Sean and Abby Drake's games, swing over to acoupleofdrakes.com. The link's in the show notes. So old school essentials um, is is an OSR game. Um, another you know kind of take on the early D and D um, kind of feel look. And uh, another we talked about DCC, but uh, old school essentials is extremely popular and, and much beloved and um, has has a hell of a following. Um, when did you sit down and go? You know what? I'm I'm going to write an adventure for for OSE. When when did that first pop into your mind? Well, it was it wasn't really my idea uh, okay. <laughs> because I was invited because they their Kickstarter was doing very very well, like they more than two hundred thousand dollars, I think. Then I I have received a message on, on Facebook from from Matt Kelly, I think, uh, said they they would like to invite me to write an adventure for Old School Essentials for the Kickstarter. And, and I obviously said, yes, 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 please, please. <laughs> and, and then I started talking to, to Gavin and I pitched them like three different ideas. And they chose House of the Planet King because it was one that really was different from everything they, they had made. And because they, they had really this almost fairy tale inspired adventures and something more whimsical. And mine was like that's like vampires from the uh, from space, and there's a living mansion or something. And they were like, "Wow, that's really weird and creepy." So then let's do that. <laughs> well, so where did that idea come from? So you, you pitched three ideas, um, and we, we don't bother talking about the other two because did, they didn't become real. But where? So when you were putting together the pitch, what are the origins of that pitch? Where did you get the initial? the initial thoughts um, to, to send over to them? Well, I don't really remember exactly the time, but I, and like I have this adventure title generators that I, I, sometimes I just keep rolling on them and getting some ideas and I, I write a bunch of them on like a, a note on one note from Microsoft. So I have like, I don't know, maybe a hundred notes of different ideas from different games. And, and I have one like a, a really long list of adventure titles. And I was looking through them and reading them. I started having ideas. And one of them was House of the Blood King. And nice. I, I created something with it and, and sent it to them. 
So uh, where did the, uh, so you got the title right? Yeah. Uh, now we got now you got to make it an adventure. Uh, you you pitch it to them. They say yeah, let's let's do that. Go for it. Uh, now what do you do? You know, you get the email back saying yes, this is what we want. What's the next step? Yeah, I think I think one of my techniques is like getting an idea and, and expanding it to three things. Right? So, so there's three things. Three things. There's vampires. There's this mansion and. And there's this garden. And then I started adding three things for each of them. So, okay, the vampire is like from space. And he's like, maybe he has like a problem with, with his mother. And, and, and started giving each, each of the items like three more ideas and started expanding on that. Like trying to make this really like simple idea. Like there's a vampire in a mansion in a hill. And I started expanding on that to make it feel more unique and, and, and trying to create connections and, and something that will make this unique and, and resonating with, with my ideas of maybe what's fun and what would be interesting or not. I've almost got this image of like an idea tree, right? Where each yeah. branch comes up and it splits into threes and splits into threes. When does that stop? When do you stop and look at the, you know these these exponentially growing ideas and go, okay, we're good. We've got I've got the meat that I need. I think you stop with the the the, the word count. Okay, you have ten thousand <laughs> words, so don't go crazy creating something, you know, because because I can write a lot, you know. Summer Brothers and Cons Spells has like 450 pages. I have like a book that I never published it, the one, the first game I, I read in like yeah. 300 pages. And, and I can get excited and, and write a lot. So I have to, to limit myself so I can really finish and create something. Otherwise, I, would, I wouldn't publish anything and just writing this one thing for like thousands of pages. So what do you think... What do you think makes Halls of the Blood King obviously stand out? So obviously you were you obviously excited and honored to get nominated. Um, do you have any sense through either through your own eyes or through what people have talked about to, to for something like that to not only rise, you know, and and be recognized from a OSE related product, but it's not just a, a nomination for OSE products. It's a nomination for all products. Do you have a sense of what, what it was or what it is about Halls of the Blood King that has gotten uh, gotten what you, the nomination? I think, first of all, the first thing you see when you look at Halls of the Blood King, it's, it's just in art. You know? Her art is it's so fantastic, so, so bright and so unique that it's catches your eyes like immediately you know you you, you you probably before you read everything you just go through the book to look through the images because they they tell their own story and they really enhance what's what's written there so so first of all i think the art and, and i was really expecting it for be to be nominated for the art and not for the writing and i was kind of bummed it didn't was nominated for the art because i think it's so fun so good so fantastic yeah, but I once you grow through it, you see, like it's like exploration of what what is a vampire, what a vampire is or is not, and there are so many different options there to see. Like the there's vampires in their whole universe, and they can be completely different things, and and the influence the vampire influence on the world start changing it, 
and, and, and everything can be a vampire, like the house can be a vampire. Like <laughs> right. the, 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 the flower can be a vampire and everything. It's weird and it makes it unique. Like, uh, yeah. I, I think everybody's fascinated by vampires because we have we always come back to vampires. Like you see, even the the, the nominations from the Ennis, there's every year there's something with vampires. Like <laughs> it's true, we're, we're obsessed with it. So we we like exploring. Well, what can we do? What can we do now? What's what different kind of vampire can we do? And 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 I don't know. People love vampires, and I love vampires <laughs> too. So. So, so you heard it here first. The key to getting a nomination is to be the vampire product. <laughs> so make, something, can... <laughs> make something up with vampires. That, that's a guarantee nomination, I think. <laughs> uh, so um, through the iteration process, right, so you have the first version of it. Um, I would imagine, obviously, you had spent time with it. I don't know if there's a, you know, a select few people that you bounce things off of. But what I'm curious about is when it's when you put it out there a little bit more. So not release it but you know the play testing the iterations or sending it to some people to get their feedback um how much of the game changed or how much of the module change as you went through that process oh it changed it changed a little bit like i I would make more connections to make something of the store because there is the the model is really kind of sandboxing you can do a lot of things with it what we're doing there but there there is a plot there there is a story being told uh, in the module and 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 started like modify it to make it uh, more accessible and people could find out more things. And I added a little bit more challenges here and there that I realized was uh, too easy or, or I don't know if my players were too good and the players of other people were too good. So then I decided to make it something a little more, more challenging. So yeah, the playtest really, really helped, I think. Was it all gradual for you or was there a kind of a breakthrough? So was there something that you either added to it or took away from it that made you go, now it's ready. Now it's, now it's clicking. Um, there, like, was there one or two things that were big in the development process for you or was it just a, a gradual iteration after iteration? I think it was more iteration after iteration. But when I started seeing that people were getting more of the story and were were really more scared because it was a tough <laughs> adventure, and then I said, oh, "Yeah, that's that's the level I want." Yes. Very, very cool. Um, well, my friend, I can't thank you enough for taking the time uh, to come on the show and to kind of talk through this and give us a sense of really your approach to everything. Uh, for those listening, where's the best uh, places for them to go to get more of your work? Well, first of all, there is my my site, which is uh, oldschool-publishing.com. And for the, like, the daily dose of what you see, like what I'm, I'm working, because I always share something I'm working on, like maybe an art or like a piece of test or, or something like the layout I'm doing for, for my games and share about games I'm, I'm, I'm playing or receiving because I, I'm really obsessed with games and, and I buy a lot of them, so I post <laughs> about them. And there's Twitter uh, at uh, Diogo slash Old School or Instagram, same thing, Diogo slash Old School. And I think that's that's mostly it. So you like follow there and so, I, of course, if everybody listening right now, if you scroll down on your player, you're going to see links to all of that. Um, and uh, you definitely want to check them out. Uh, his games are interesting, 
they feel old, but they're not old. There's some neat things in there that um, that, that you can tell uh, the love and the passion. Definitely follow follow him on Twitter. But uh, now for my last question. So the first question I always ask is, where where did things begin? This is now the uh, the other end of the bookend. Um, I always am fascinated um, about what you are loving and consuming right now. So something that you're not involved with, something you haven't created, and it could be an RPG, it could be a board game, a video game, movies. TV series. What are you? What are you just in love with right now, and just consuming as much as you can? Well, still, this is here on like everything. This is here can get my hands yeah. on, and like obsessed because it was like the game that really welcomed me in the community, and then the game that I love. I love this is in Ankmar. Like it's so good. Like for me, like the best uh, type of DCC because there's DCC a lot of things, you know. So yep. this is Lankmer for me. It's fantastic, and, and I'm obsessed with it. I, I try to to buy everything. It's kind of hard now because of the shipping has changed, but I'm, I still try everything of this. See, I don't know. Like I, I I have a lot of things from Fates. I'm really getting into more back into Fates a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And the Cortex Prime run. It's it's one that I really I love the, the Firefly RPG. You know, it was Cortex Plus. It's. I think it's similar to the new Cortex Prime, but it was a game that really, really liked it. So that's... Oh, and the, the new Day One Ring RPG, second edition, is coming out finally. So I'm excited yeah, for Free that. Yeah, Free League is putting yeah. that one out. And yeah. a, a friend of mine, like uh, James Spun, is it's doing the starter set with the nice. Hobbits in the Shire. So like playing Hobbits, same in the Shire, must be really cool. I agree, I agree. All right, my friend, thanks again for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure. And anytime you want to talk about anything, like I'm free. <laughs> well, if I have my way, this will not be your last time on. But I also want to thank you who's listening. You sat through this whole thing. We're at the end. I appreciate you too. Take care. Thank you. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floor heads you still here wow um well the episode is over but if you're bored why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month yeah you can just scroll down scroll down and yeah get the link it's patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible don't you want to join the other floorheads on the patreon discord anyway Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.